Time for our kids to leave us for Kids Church. Thank you, leaders and kids. This morning, we look at the Ancient of Days from Daniel chapter 7, and this is part 9 in our series on Daniel. Now, last week, as we looked at uh, chapter 6, we concluded the first half of the book, which is the narrative part in the book of Daniel. And most of us, I think, are, are quite familiar with the stories that are found in the first half. And that's where a lot of us stop reading Daniel, because then we sort of get into the apocalyptic and what does it all mean, all these beasts and horns and all that stuff. So... It's a different kind of writing, but you need to read the first part to understand the second. And the stuff that is found in Daniel is repeated in Ezekiel and other prophets and the images reappear in the book of Revelation. So what we're going to share this morning is gives you some clues and ideas as to what their meaning is, and not just from me, because we have the interpretation there that is given to us in the, in the second half of the book of Daniel, because some of those interpretations are, are not always readily available, for example, in the book of Revelation. And I must say something else, that um, years ago, decades ago, uh, many churches had conventions that really focused on the second coming and the prophetic. And people were really excited. Then another period came and usually the, the, the attraction for the prophetic word happens around the time when the world is in big trouble. Wars. There was a time when we sent soldiers in the First World War, then the Great Depression, then the Second World War, and then the Cold War sort of things started getting colder and so people lost a bit of excitement uh, with regard to the apocalyptic but if we're going to be honest with God's word, the prophetic, the, the, the prophecies in the Bible are, are everywhere. We can't ignore it. So it's not a, if, if I wanted to, you know, uh, be a lot more popular um, and, and liked by everybody, I will tell you what you want to hear and make you feel good. And just, you know, give you advice on how to manage your finances and how to tune your car, you know, all the important stuff in life, right? But I'm here to teach you about God's Word and I, I need to prepare you for eternity. Yes, to live this life, but I also need to strengthen you because one day I'm going to have to give account to God for what I share with you. So whether you like or accept what I'm saying is irrelevant in a way, Right. Um, I remember when I started uni at uh, UTS, and uh, the subject was was physics and uh, structural physics. And uh, this the, the lecturer came, and and he basically said, "I can tell you guys now that half of you aren't going to make it to the end of the year." I said, "Well, that's a great encouragement, isn't it?" Uh, and he was right. Uh, <laughs> he was right. Now, my, my role as, as a pastor is to expound God's word faithfully, but to prepare you 
to strengthen you so that your faith grows because I'm not responsible for how you react to God's word. I'm responsible for the things that I share with you from God's word. So having said that, having that disclaimer, because the following weeks that we will share, it's till the end of Daniel, um, are really going to be about the prophetic. So we need to prepare ourselves for this. So God will eventually bring history to its climatic conclusion. That we know. So the first six chapters uh, are presented in this chronological order. This thing happens, that happens, one after the other. But in this chapter and the next, we go back to the, to the beginning of King, the King Belshazzar's reign. And, and Belshazzar was the last king of the kingdom of Babylon. So along with Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel is considered one of the major prophets of Scripture. So he's up there. So the job of a prophet was to warn, to shock, and also to comfort God's people, both then, at, who lived at the time, and throughout the ages. So why did God provide the Jews of that day at that particular time, with such a comprehensive sweep of history and future events. Well, think about it. Their nation had been destroyed and they were exiled away from home. They were at a very low ebb in their history. So it would be very natural for them to feel downhearted and say, what has become of all those great covenant promises that God gave us and made to us. I thought those promises would take us through until the end of time. And you know what? Relentless difficulty can test anyone, the most ardent believer, and bring discouragement. Just one thing after another after another, and, and, and you can get discouraged. And as God's people, we're also, in a way, pilgrims. We're exiled in a foreign land. And we, we may also ask the question, where is God in all of this? We feel like exiles in Babylon. The world has changed. We didn't go anywhere, but the world around us has changed. So while ministering in these desperate times... God gives Daniel a dream designed first to shock him and then to comfort. And then Daniel wrote the vision down so that, so he's dreaming, he sees all this stuff and he says, I've got to write that down. Thank God he did, right? So he wrote it down so that his people then and us today, two and a half thousand years later, might also be warned and shocked and comforted. All those things. And the people's trust in God was not in vain. Just before Daniel received his last vision, God's promise of release from exile, from captivity, was announced. They would be there for 70 years, and Daniel talks about that. But it wouldn't happen until they time in exile 
and they were there because of their sins. Before they wouldn't be released, they wouldn't come back home until their time of exile was served. Now, which brings to the, to the next point, and one of the problems that has plagued the people of God in every age are what is called in the Bible the false prophets. For many years, Jeremiah warned the people of Judah that an invasion was coming. But few people believed him. But but they chose to believe the false prophets who told them what they wanted to hear. It'll be fine. Don't worry about it. God's not going to do that to us, you know. Let's just... I know they... Northern Kingdom was taken away, but God's going to look after us. Jerusalem's a holy city, it's not going to happen, okay? So what happens? Everybody tunes to the radio station that plays your music. What would you start hearing stuff that you don't like? We're all sort of geared that way, aren't we? Drawn in that direction. Go to the doctor that will give you good news. It'll be fine. Your cancer is fine, okay? You don't need to do anything. Just take this pill you'll be okay. Whereas the other doctor says, no, hang on, we've got to do something about this. So, majority of the people in Judah chose to believe not Jeremiah, but the false prophets. And then, when eventually they were taken into exile, and Jeremiah was right, These false prophets didn't stop. They continued, even in exile, they continued their false prophecy. And Jeremiah, who was back in Jerusalem, while Daniel was already with the exiles in in, in Babylon, uh, Jeremiah actually writes a letter to the people in exile to warn them, don't listen to the false prophets because what the false prophets are saying, you're going to come home soon. Okay? It's going to, yeah, just pack your bags, you'll be returning a lot sooner. And Jeremiah is saying, no, you're not. Okay? If you didn't listen to me before, listen to me now. You're going to have to serve your time before you come back to Jerusalem. So the the, the visions that God gave through Daniel were designed to to manage the expectations like these and to keep it real, to keep it honest, to keep it God-centred. I believe that today we also need to be sober-minded. Don't believe every spirit. Don't believe every charlatan. Don't believe every person that tells you what you want to hear. Seek sound teaching. I don't care what church you go to, but the church you go to has to be teaching the sound word of God. Biblical Christianity. Don't be carried away by the emotions and the hype and the The false promises, they are false prophets who give you false promises. 
And in his word, God wants us to be prepared for the long haul. Because our world is under God's judgment. Yes, as God's people, we certainly have a very unbelievably bright future ahead. But for now, we must persevere faithfully. And the truth we learn from Daniel's visions visions is that things in this world are going to get a lot worse before they get better. Maybe you didn't want to hear that. We all, therefore, need to appreciate these visions of Daniel for the very same reason as the exiles did. And because Daniel was right, because he was appreciated, therefore we have the book of Daniel that has served the church for the last 2,000 years and the people of God. So here, before we get into our passage after that long introduction, the year is five, around about the 553 BC and there are three separate visions which are recounted here. The first runs from verses 2 to 6, the second from verses 7 to 12 and finally in in verses 13 to 14 is the third vision which presents the Son of Man. And after these comes the interpretation in the second half of the chapter from verses 15 to 28. So this morning we will only cover the first and second vision and jump to the interpretation so we're not going to look at it sequentially, we will jump from one verse to the other and hopefully you can hold it all together. As the lead up to Easter, next week we will discuss the third vision which is the vision of the Son of Man on its own. That's a big topic. So there are three important truths that we can learn from this vision that we have before us. In verses 2 to 6, the first thing we can say is that God with his people in history. God is with his people in history. Verses 2 to 3 says, Daniel said, In my vision at night I looked, and there before me were the four winds of heaven churning up the great sea. Four great beasts, each different from the others, came up out of the sea. Now in chapter 2, we discuss King Nebuchadnezzar's dream where there were four empires shown as four different parts of this great image. The four empires were represented by a head of gold, the chest and the arms were of silver, the belly and the thighs that were made of brass, And then the legs of iron mixed with clay and the feet, the feet of iron mixed with with clay. Now Daniel receives a parallel vision where the four great empires are represented not by a single image but by four beasts. But each of these empires, each of these beasts corresponds to a certain part of the original image in chapter 2. And there is another difference here that I can mention. And while the dream in chapter 2 is from a human perspective, here it is more from God's perspective and how God regards the human kingdoms 
of the world. And just as there are decreasing value of metals from gold all the way to iron and clay, they, there are corresponding beasts that correspond to those. So they are from a, a winged lion that becomes like a man to a terrifying monster that spews out blasphemy. This is the decreasing part. So let's look at these, uh, these beasts. Uh, the first beast was aligned with eagle wings, which represents the Babylonian Empire. It, it, it fits well because of the unmatched majesty and authority of Nebuchadnezzar in his reign, in his peak. He was the supreme leader of the entire known world at the time, and his glory, the glory of Babylon, was incredible. The second beast was a bear, which represents the Medes and the Persians. This one didn't have the majestic appearance of the lion or the eagle. As you know, bears are slower, but they are stronger and more crushing than a lion. But he has this voracious appetite for conquest, which is mentioned in verse 5. The third beast is like a leopard, which represents the Greek empire. The leopard is known for its stealth and then sudden and surprise attacks. And this one was specially swift, had four wings and clever. It had four heads. Who is it talking about? Well, it's talking about Alexander the Great who came. Philip was the first big king of the Greeks, but then Alexander was even greater he quickly conquered the civilised world by the age of 28. Now, I don't know what your dreams are, but to conquer the world by the age of 28 is pretty good, I'd, I'd say. But that was it. He, he peaked under, under 30 and then he was depressed because he, there were no more worlds to conquer, they said. But after his death... His empire was divided into four parts. The, 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 the four heads, that's what it represents, the four parts. That were the four, four of his trusted generals. The whole of the empire, the conquered world at the time, were divided into four parts. Um, and the four heads, the four generals were Antipater, which he was given Greece and Macedonia. Lysimachus, he was given Asia Minor, which today is Turkey. Uh, Seleucus was given Asia and Ptolemy was given Egypt and Palestine. Now, you might have heard the name Cleopatra. Cleopatra was actually a descendant of Ptolemy. And just another. Uh, Cleopatra actually mar married her brother, just in case, you know, those things used to happen. I know, sick, right? Anyway, that wasn't Elizabeth Taylor, by the way. So, the, the fourth beast is indescribable. It has no parallel to any other animal. But this represents the Roman Empire. This was the largest, the strongest, the most unified and enduring of them all. It was dreadful, it was terrible, 
and it was horrific in its, in its power and conquest. And in the ancient world, horns express the power and fearsomeness of an animal. Farmers tend to um, cut the, the, the horns of cows so they don't go and do damage to everybody else. So that's why, because the horn is, is the most fearsome part of an animal, particularly if it's coming charging at you. The fourth beast was so strong it had ten horns. And it's remarkable that at the time when Daniel received this vision, only the first Babylonian empire existed. The rest of the empires were still unknown to man. He was still under Belshazzar's time, remember? But God already knew about the the Medo-Persians, the Greeks, the Romans. And they, in God's eyes, they had already come and gone from history. When you travel through Europe, you take photos of what has been the remains of these once great empires, whether it's Greece or Rome. You take photos of what was in the past. But only God can give Daniel a photo of what will be. And that's what the prophetic is. And we also can be assured that God already knew about all these superpowers of our present world at that time. And what will eventually become of each of them. This is why we have these writings. This is why this is here, because I said, this is what's going to happen. I'm don't be surprised. I'm letting you know. I'm giving you the script. Secondly, the second part is God is with his people in suffering. We're going to look at verses 7 to 8 and then uh, verses 19 to 25. So we just, the first part of this, uh, verse 19. Then I wanted to know the meaning of the fourth beast which was different from all the others and most terrifying with its iron teeth and bronze claws. The beast had crushed and devoured its victims and trampled underfoot whatever was left. I also wanted to know about the ten horns on its head and about the other horn that came up before which three of them fell, the horn that I looked more imposing than, than the others and had eyes and a mouth that spoke boastfully. And as I watched, this horn was waging war against, listen to this, against God's holy people and defeating them. You get that, right? Did you get that? I thought we were going from victory to victory. Defeating them. Isn't that what it feels like? But it's there. Until. Until. Okay, that's the, the, the wonderful, beautiful word, right? Until the Ancient of Days came 
and pronounced judgment in favour of the holy people of the Most High. And the time came when they possessed the kingdom. So we, before we get to that glorious future, we need to understand the present reality of what's going to happen. So we're told three times in this chapter that this fourth beast is different from all the others in its appearance, its terror and extent of its power. The ten horns mentioned here seem to represent a later stage of its power. Something that will continue or even persist long after the end of the Roman Empire. Many interpret these ten horns to represent a group of separate states or nations that come together to try and revive a version of the old Roman Empire, such as the Third Reich, for example. What was the symbol of the Third Reich? The eagle. Or the European Union could be another interpretation of this. Or even the United States of America. The, the little horn clearly represents a very powerful person who will arise in the end times. It points to the most powerful ruler of the final dynasty and all of history. None of history has seen someone like this. This little horn takes aim at two targets. Uh, he, he targets his arrogance with his tongue against God and against his people. Against God and against his people. And, And many of us understand this to refer to the end time Antichrist. The Antichrist will somehow gain full authority over the world. He will then persecute all believers and they will suffer terribly under him. So what is the time? Um, When you hear that word time, what is it? Well, a time here refers to a year. Two years and a half a year. It all adds up to exactly about three and a half years. I mention this because here is a description of the Antichrist that is also given to the Apostle John some 600 years later when he was on the island in exile. And as you read Revelation, you see a lot of the, the languages, the images that are used in Daniel, like I said, is used as, again in Revelation. So let's go to Revelation chapter 13, verses 4 to 7. People worship the dragon because he had given authority to the beast. And they also worship the beast and ask, Who is like the beast? Who can wage war against it? The beast was given a mouth to utter proud words and blasphemies and to exercise its authority for 42 months. Guess what that adds up to? Three and a half years. It opened its mouth to blaspheme God and to slander his name and his dwelling place and those who live in heaven. 
It was given power to wage war against, get this, God's holy people and to conquer them. And he was given authority over every tribe, people, language and nation. Now, most of us hope that we're going to be in heaven before all this happens, right? And if we're still alive, that at the very least we will be raptured up to heaven before all this terrible news happens. Let me say that the Bible is not clear on this and there are many different types of end time scenarios that are proposed and people choose the scenario that they like the most according to their inclinations. And most people wish they're not going to be around when this stuff happens. My own position, like it or not, is that it is likely that the rapture will take place only at the end of the Antichrist persecution of believers. It's unmissable from what we read here. It says it was given power to wage against God's holy people. It doesn't say he waged power against God's unholy people. This is the Christians, these are the believers, these are the children of God that are being persecuted. So why, Paul, do you believe this? Why, why do we have to go through this? Well, because the Bible says. Why? Well, because many who lived before us, many believers who lived before us, and many who are living now, and many who will come, they will not be spared from persecutions. What makes you and me so special to believe that we will be spared just because we live in a beautiful country of Australia or Europe or America that we're going to be spared while our brothers and sisters in Nigeria and North Korea and Iran and India, what makes you and me so special? What? We're prettier? That doesn't work. We're holier? No. God has his people everywhere and some of them are under immense persecution, incredible persecution, even at this very moment when we you know, gather here together freely. And what Daniel saw here in this vision about this persecution of believers must have been really awful for him to react the way he did. First he says in verse 15, he was troubled in spirit and disturbed. What happened to cheerful Charlie, right? He was troubled in spirit and disturbed. Then in verse 28, he was deeply troubled and his face turned pale. This is important because it describes for us how Daniel responds to this vision and its interpretation. And, and we are there with Daniel, through Daniel, we're looking at this and it's almost that he describes this for us because if he was shocked, we would also be shocked. But that is not the end of the story. Paul gives us some encouraging news in uh, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 11-12. 
If we died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. So we are, despite all of this, we we are to derive great comfort from the next part of Daniel's vision, which is our third point this morning. God with his people in glory. And this is verses 9 to 12 and then 26 to 27. Verses 9 to 12 it says, As I looked, thrones were set in place and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was as white as snow, the hair of his head was white as like wool, his throne was flaming with fire and his wheels were all ablaze. A river of fire was flowing, coming out from before him. Thousands upon thousands attended him. 10,000 times 10,000 stood before him. That's a lot of people, a lot of believers. The court was seated and the books were opened. Then I continued to watch because of the boastful words the horn was speaking. And I kept looking until the beast was slain and its body destroyed and thrown into the blazing fire. The other beasts had already been stripped of their authority but were allowed to live for a period of time. Can you notice the the contrast here? From the wild, tempestuous seas at the beginning to this majestic orderliness in the heavenly court. When the books are opened, the beasts face the final reckoning for their evil. Every deed has been recorded, seen. Everything that has happened is here in these books. Nothing escapes. The Ancient of Days sits in judgment and effortlessly executes justice. God presides over a vast multitude of saints to pronounce his sentence of fiery judgment on the little horn and his wicked kingdom. Here there is no more threat, no challenge, there is no prolonged legal battle that goes on for weeks and years to make a decision. No. Decision is made. He says the word, and the great beast is destroyed permanently. Now let's just talk about this ancient, the, the name "ancient of days." This is God in, in His judgment seat. Not only has God been there from the beginning, the Alpha. He has seen it all. And it also emphasises his eternal nature. He's the beginning, he's the end. And, and, and his ultimate fitness to be the, the only one, the one final and decisive judge of all of history. He will judge every nation, every empire, every individual. The fact that he's clothed in white reflects his purity. His hair is like pure wool to reflect the the depths of of wisdom that is contained in him. 
only him. He is surrounded by fire which streams forth from his throne, flashing his power to conquer any challenger who dares to stand up. Nothing slides past the ancient of days. There's no excuses. There's no hearsay, this is truth, unfiltered truth. What, what an amazing display of the power of the Most High God we worship. And so when we gather together, it, it's hard for us to picture that with what is happening around us, right? And yet when we read passages, when we sing songs of praise, our hearts are lifted up and we join the crowd that is already gathered up in heaven waiting for us, the rest of the people of God, to come together. Aren't you looking forward to that day? No more sorrow, no more pain, no more tears, no more suffering. No more doubt. There is something rather amazing awaiting the people of God. And and the the beauty of this here is that we're, we're not mere spectators watching this show like watching a movie unravel. We are actually fully involved. We are recipients of this beautiful, wonderful promise. Yes, the the people of God, God's church, play this stunning part in the culmination of history that lies before us. We are fully involved here. Verses 18 and then verse 27. But the holy people of the Most High will receive the kingdom and will possess it forever. And, And just in case you didn't understand the word forever, it says, yes, forever and ever. I love that, just to emphasise it. And then in verse 27, then the sovereignty, power and greatness of all the kingdoms under heaven will be handed over to who? To the holy people of the Most High. His kingdom will be an everlasting kingdom and all rulers will worship and obey him. Wow. Wow. Final lessons as we conclude this morning. Many lessons can we, we can gather from here, right? But here's the first one. Let's make sure that we belong to the right kingdom. That's not hard to work out, right? If you're sitting there and just thinking, oh, this is all rubbish, I feel sorry for you. If you are not in the kingdom of God, you are in the kingdom of Satan and his servants, the Antichrist. If you haven't already done so, get right with God through Jesus Christ. Repent of your sins and accept the forgiveness he offers. But remember one thing, that the offer will not be there. You won't be on the table for long. There is a time that God has marked. If you want to talk more about this, Please don't delay. Secondly, we are living in tumultuous times. 
This is all playing out just as God has told us it would. And let's remember that one of the purposes of Daniel's visions was to warn us that things are going to get a lot worse before they get better. But what a great future awaits the children of God. And lastly, and thirdly, let's be level-headed, please. While Daniel and us might be shocked at what's coming, we don't need to feel anxious, fearful or worried. And, and Daniel's reaction, yes, uh, is there, but he didn't have a, a complete picture of the Son of Man, the Son of God, the one who came to give his life. He saw roughly who he was, but we don't have that excuse he came 2,000 years ago for he, God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, son of man, son of God. We're going to talk about that next week. And as long as we remember these important truths that God has given us today in his word, we can move actually from shock to concern, to comfort and and just start the eternal gratitude through Jesus Christ who told us in John chapter 14 verse 1, do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. Amen.